Happy 2024. Welcome. You're now listening to QD Clinics, Lessons from the Clinic. I'm Dr. Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinics is brought to you by Room Now Live 2024, coming up in a few weeks. Today's case is kind of what I did over the Christmas holidays. I was around a lot of family and friends. I had a lot of um, appointments, shall we say, or sidebar discussions, or can I see you? I want to ask you a few questions. And, you know, usually these are hushed tone, um, cornered conversations at holiday parties where I drank too much eggnog. Um, and the uh, topic is always the same. I want to ask you how if I have arthritis. Like, like we don't want anybody to know. Um, and if you're in the biz, um, you get this question a lot. It happens all, it happens incidentally when people say, oh, I have arthritis. You're going to, I'm going to need you, or, uh, you should look at me. I'm a, I'm a bad case. And the fact is everybody gets aches and pains and often thinks of it as arthritis and often thinks it's the beginning of the end. Um, and the degeneration of their being has come into play and they want you to help them. And I think you should help them. I mean, this is easy for you. You're an expert at pattern recognition. In three questions, you know what you're up to here. You can answer that, you know, this consult in probably 20 seconds if you want to shoot from the hip and a minute and 20 if you want to be 100% accurate, and you will be. I want to give you my insights as to how I handle this. First, um, uh, you know, you, you know that what is it? hundred in the United States, 130 million people have musculoskeletal complaints according to the CDC, but only 58 million have self-diagnosed arthritis. That means, you know, two and a half to one more likely to have a non-arthritis musculoskeletal complaint, right? Meaning, and we know the vast majority of musculoskeletal complaints that present in primary care and even to a rheumatologist are um, periarticular rather than being articular. Um, and, you know, most of those periarticulars are injury and overuse syndromes, right? And then there's a healthy number of fibromyalgia. Right off the bat, you know, the first question is, where do you hurt? And if it's one joint, I love one joint complaints because one joint complaints have a differential diagnosis that's four fingers long. It's either septic or it's crystal or it's fracture or it's injury. And I'll put overuse involved in that. One joint, never spread, chronic, it's going to be one of those four, right? You know, when, uh, and the vast majority of people that I do see in these kind of consults, they don't have RA or their, whatever their dreaded arthritis may be. And, um, and I think that, you know, when you're seeing them, you should look for certain red flags. Red flags would be low back pain, never going to be RA or inflammatory. Could be, but almost never. Look for FM clues, meaning that they sleep poor, they have a history of anxiety or depression, or they're, out, they're on antidepressants, um, or they've been previously diagnosed with fibromyalgia. If they have fevers, again, it's a whole new differential diagnosis. And uh, lastly, if they have episodic joint complaints as opposed to daily or progressive joint complaints, that's a totally different diagnosis. When it's not 
RA, it's again, most likely going to be periarticular injury overuse, rarely going to be other diagnoses like OA, um, CPPD, psoriatic arthritis, PMR, etc. So what are the things I look for in my 60 second consults? Um, I'm, you know, I can diagnose someone at the checkout counter at the grocery store. Just show me your hands. You know, put them up like that. Show me the one that you think is swollen, and, and I'm nine times out of ten, it's not swollen by my inspection. So we differ on that, and I'm more likely to be right than wrong because I've done this a million times. But inspection and looking for obvious swelling. And then when it's obvious swelling, you know the swelling of degenerative disease, Heberden's and Bouchard's nodes, uh, versus RA, fusiform, you know, certain joint patterns um, that you would see with RA or PSA, right? So whether it's PIP, MCP, or DIP, PIP, you have your own differential diagnosis. Second thing I, I, I like to ask about is, have you ever had carpal tunnel syndrome? Do you currently have carpal tunnel syndrome? Because that's frequently associated with inflammatory arthritis, most likely RA, less likely PSA. Third thing is find if they have range of motion problems or clear-cut contractures. People have finger contractures, probably had inflammatory arthritis that preceded it. Now, it could be other things, including isolated finger contractures and a, a Dupuytren's contracture. But finger contractures um, or contractures of other joints um, and limitations, especially elbows, wrists, shoulders, um, and ankles, really tells you that there has been prior damage and or inflammation going on there. Secondly, has the problem been additive or has it always been this pattern, these three joints, these both hands, or has it gone from, you know, two joints, four joints, six joints, eight joints, um, that would, again, make you worry a little bit more. Make them tell you about function. What can they not do anymore? And most importantly, has this arthritis or whatever they're calling arthritis, has it prevented them from doing their work? Have they had to stop working? Again, most people, even with arthritis, will continue to work. But the ones who stop working because of arthritis are probably more likely to have real arthritis than periarticular pain. Um, I seldom... I never ask for x-rays. I always like to say, if, they, if you have papers, lab tests, or results of any kind, x-ray results, let me see them. You know, bring them to your, meet me at McDonald's at 2 o'clock, and I'll, uh, over coffee, um, review that stuff for you. Um, so I'll look at it, but I will probably almost never, in one of these sidebar consultations, ask to do labs or even do x-rays. So seldom will I do labs. I never will do x-rays on a consult like this. Um, I like to review what they've had because then I can factor it into, you know, um, what I'm going to tell them. And you're there to give them the good news or the hard news. And most often this is going to be good news. If they've previously been diagnosed as having psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and have been treated, and you're doubting that, don't crush them with your negative diagnosis. You need to give them time. Say, I'm concerned, I think that maybe you don't have it anymore, or that maybe it may have gone into remission. I'm gonna recommend that you see a rheumatologist and get these things done, and let time get the right diagnosis in that person. If they've never had a diagnosis, rush to judgment. Boom, 
You don't have RA or PSA like your grandmother did. You have overuse pain because you're a carpenter or because you do needlepoint too much or wh whatever the reason is. Uh, and give them a plan as to how they can self-manage this and or get an evaluation. This is my approach to do I have arthritis. We'll see you at Room Now Live January 27 and 28 in Dallas or online. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live 2024. We have a session on jack inhibitors that I think is going to be stellar. It's <laughs> jack inhibitors and spondyloarthritis, Eric Ruderman. Safety of jack inhibitors, Kevin Winthrop. And new indications for jack inhibitors in dermatology, Bruce Strober. I mean, <laughs> it's a killer session. Be there. Today's case is... Why aren't patients like textbooks? So this patient that I just saw is 52 years old. Uh, a gal who has been seen probably for about eight or nine years in the past by two other rheumatologists uh, in town. And she comes to me with uncertainty and continued complaints uncertainty in that she says she's had uh, pain and swelling in a number of her joints and hands and wrists and shoulders and elbows and back and arm and whatever. Um, and she has previously had abnormal tests, an ANA of 1 to 40 and an ANA of 1 to 80. But she did have an elevated sed rate in CRP. She, by one doctor, she was called inflammatory arthritis and he wanted to give her DMARDs. She didn't want to take DMARDs. She was treated with intramuscular and intraarticular injections and, and really was self-managed. Another doctor saw her, said she also had maybe RA, but also fibromyalgia. When I see her, she's got predominantly um, left wrist pain and swelling. She's wearing a, a brace on the left hand to limit the range of motion and limit her pain. She's also got pain in her neck and shoulders and down her right arm and also in her buttock areas bilaterally. She sleeps poorly. She does have fibromyalgia. Um, she does have a um, limitation of motion in the right shoulder and an old, what seems to be established, um, minor frozen shoulder, now with limitation of motion and pain. Um, given her occupation, does some manual labor, she probably has a rotator cuff there, tear there that's been going on for some time. But the left wrist is the other problem here. So I'm willing to ascribe this to, you know, fibromyalgia, poor sleep, um, some degenerative change, something that needs physical therapy. But the left wrist is one plus swollen. She's lost about 20% range of motion, inflection and extension. The CRP was 31 milligrams per liter, um, one assessment. And on another assessment, the SED rate was 56. Um, so the question is, what does she have and what am I going to do? So I'm working in a clinic where the patient doesn't have insurance. So you're paying for everything. And what are you going to do? So that she does have established longstanding complaints. So the chronicity of the wrist problem with the limitation of motion says something's going on there. And the question is, can it be diagnosed by simple means, either 
an x-ray or an ultrasound? Or will she need more expensive tests like an MR or CT? First, we should sort of, and of course, by the way, other tests are all negative, right? Uric acid, LFTs, CCP and rheumatoid factor were negative. She has no hepatitis antibodies uh, in play. Um, she has no thyroid disease. So um, the labs don't show um, anemia of chronic disease. Her platelet count is normal. Her chem profile is normal. Creatinine function is normal. So I'm left with an elevated sed rate and CRP and swelling in the wrist. And it's cool to touch, but it is soft tissue swelling. There is no tenosynovitis or tendonitis um, by my exam. And the wrist pain is over the dorsum of the wrist. On, um, especially, and and well, that's where most of the swelling is. Um, and she gets pain with more flexion and extension than she does with side-to-side um, uh, -side motion, for instance. But nonetheless, um, what am I going to do? What's the differential here? Isolated wrist pain, you know, the wrist is involved in a lot of different arthropathies. It's involved in RA and, um, uh, and CPPD, but I would expect multiple joints in, in both those conditions. Um, so I'm really excluding those. I guess CPPD still could be in play. The wrist is a commonplace for um, calcium pyrophosphate disease deposit, you know, affecting the cartilage, giving a minor inflammatory reaction. It can also be in play when someone has hemochromatosis in the, that may involve the wrist as well. But again, no diabetes, no heart, normal LFTs. Um, uh, I didn't do a ferritin level on her as yet. Um, I'm really looking for a differential that gives you an oligo or monoarthritis in that involves the wrist. And I think you have to strongly consider um, traumatic causes, um, periarticular causes, tendon disruption, tenosynovitis, um, Dacre veins, you know, all, all of those. But isolated arthritis, intercarpal, car radiocarpal involvement, you should probably think about psoriatic arthritis, reactive arthritis, IBD arthritis. Um, you should think about... Um, trauma, fracture, and damage, if there's been any history of trauma. Um, if she uh, has had trauma, you could also think about a foreign body reaction, a foreign body synovitis. Infections are notorious for giving you isolated, um, monarticular, oligoarticular complaints. And the more that they're chronic and indolent, the more you have to think about weird bugs and, and starting with... Um, atypical mycobacterial infections, uh, non-tuberculous mycobacterial infections. Um, Lyme can do this, and like I said, hemochromatosis can do this. Chimebox, which is an avascular necrosis of the lunate bone, I've seen a few of those in my career. They um, tend to be on the younger side rather than really old people, and the diagnosis usually is made by MRI, seldom by x-ray, unless it's very long-standing, in which case the the lunate will be deformed sclerotic uh, and suggest prior AVN of the lunate. So my initial plan with her is to um, get x-rays, uh, give her five milligrams of prednisone, manage her fibromyalgia and sleep disorder, give her a range of motion exercises uh, for the rotator cuff limitation that she has, uh, and we'll see her back. 
I'll do further x-rays and imaging if I need to, but it's going to be costly and she doesn't have insurance. So maybe you can get an MRI on a cash basis, on a compassionate use, if you think that there could be an AVN or um, bony abnormality or a fracture, whether it could be a, you know, a, um, a scaffold lunate ligament tear. Um, again, there's a lot of um, bone and soft tissue acti- uh, possibilities here. But again, the swelling to me looks like a chronic inflammatory mono oligoarticular arthritis. And that's why I'm um, hoping she's got either a crystal related um, or uh, inflammation related. You know, giving her prednisone doesn't really fix the problem, does it? When it comes back and she's better, what am I going to do? You know, chronic polyarthritis has to begin as as a monoarthritis in some people, uh, except this has been going on a while. Again, I can't have no great documentation as the extent of arthritis she had eight or nine years ago. Um, but I'm going to have to learn who she is. And again, the point here is, here's a patient who comes in with pain all over. She really, the conundrum is the left wrist. Um, and she's got several things going on, not just one problem. She's got a wrist problem, a shoulder problem, a sleep problem, and a uh, chronic pain disorder in the form of fibromyalgia. Yes, patients don't read textbooks. And basically, in this case, I'm going to treat each one of these problems um, individually until she's better as a whole. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Welcome to QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live 2024. It's happening in Dallas on the 27th and 28th. Be there. It's a meeting for big shot rheumatologists. It's a big time meeting. Um, Today's case is, when do you give rituximab in RA? So this patient of mine um, has been on a lot of different therapies. And recently, she's 54, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, also has a history of pulmonary embolism and antiphospholipid syndrome. She's taken methotrexate, prednisone, and Tylenol. Ten months ago, she was given um, her first course of rituximab and did really, really well. RA is certain. She's strongly seropositive for RF, um, CCP. She's got nodules. She does have an ANA. She does have erosions and contractures. Uh, previously treated with methotrexate, plaquenil, sulfazalazine, arencia, and a JAK inhibitor. And then got rituximab, did really well. Um, and at her last visit, she was doing good. She had normal sed rate and CRP, and I think like um, two tender and one swollen joint. Um, and her CDI score was seven, right? So on this visit, she comes in, she says she's not done well. It's over the summertime. She's um, said that she's been flaring and her... Um, she didn't want to take any more prednisone and she didn't want to come in sooner, but now she's in. She says she's fair. Her pain is 7 out of 10. She's got problems in her wrist, fingers, um, and arms. Um, she's not sure if she has swelling. When you when I see her, she's got 14 tender joints, 5 swollen joints, including activity mainly in the hands, MCPIPs, and wrists. Her CDI score is up to 29. It was 7, Right. And the question is, what am I going to do with her? And then, obviously, the answer is uh, give her rituximab. Um, I wish I'd seen her before she had this flare um, or 
in the throes of it. So now it's going to take a week to set up her rituximab and maybe another two to four weeks before she fully responds to the rituximab. And this begs the question, when you put someone on rituximab, and I think you should use more rituximab, it's a great drug. It's got an incredibly good safety profile. Um, and you only have to give it like every six or 12 months. And it works better in people with high titer CCP and high titer RF. I mean, you got a biomarker here. Um, again, but we tend to use this almost like last ditch in RA. And I think that's a big mistake. I'm very pro rituximab because I've used a lot of it. I did the clinical trials on it uh, and, and I was impressed way back then. So here are the rules. The package insert says that the dosing in RA for rituximab is that it should be used in combination first with methotrexate and given as two thousand milligram effusions infusions that are two weeks apart and then it can be reconsidered at 24 weeks or on demand based on your clinical evaluation but no sooner than every 16 weeks okay they do recommend that you give methylprednisolone or an equivalent glucocorticoid 30 minutes prior to infusion i gave up on methylprednisolone and only use hydrocortisone or nothing I find most patients don't really need it. There are a few who have reactions to the drug, and in those you would pre-medicate. So do I do it on demand or on schedule? And I can tell you that I just do on demand. And I'm thinking about it after six months. I'm strongly considering writing the prescription and the order at 12 months. But I wait until that they want and I ask them, do you want to get this before you flare, or do you want to kind of wait and see how you do? And most people want to say, I want to wait and see how I do. I got a bunch of patients who had like one or two in courses, and that's it. A course is two infusions that are done two weeks apart. But I have one patient who had horrible disease. Like you would be shocked. Got one course and went into remission, stopped not just rituximab, but all DMARDs. And I saw the patient every year. They really had nothing. But Anyway, that's and, and, and again, it was clear-cut RA, etc. Anyway, so I do on-demand. And again, I consider it after 6, and I'm really thinking about it at 12. I will go as long as maybe, you know, 16, uh, 16 months before I give it again. Um, and that's sort of my schedule. But there are many of you that will give this every six months as scheduled. Some of you, when the patient isn't doing well, We'll give it every three months or four months. Don't do that. If you need to give rituximab more frequent than every six months, that's your cue to find a new therapy. That's the beginning of the end of rituximab as effective therapy, right? So, and a lot of my prescribing habits have translated to vasculitis management. I'm a little more likely to use Q6 month dosing in vasculitis, and I also go down to low dose rituximab. There's plenty of studies in RA and also some in vasculitis that say that you may not need the thousand given two weeks apart, uh, that you could give 500 two weeks apart, or you give 1000 as a single infusion. Again, I do that more in vasculitis than I do in RA. RA, you're pretty much going to get um, the 1000 milligrams done uh, two weeks apart on demand as I like to do it. But there is good research saying that you could do 500 instead of 1,000 or 1,000 once in people who are stable. And maybe that's the big take home here. If patients have done incredibly well with rituximab, 
then you can be more like on demand and use alternative lower doses. But if they haven't achieved remission and they haven't gotten to low disease activity state, then you probably need more frequent dosing and scheduled dosing. And you might need to, if they need less than six months dosing, start thinking about your next drug choice. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Hi, this is QD Clinic. QD Clinics brought to you by Room Now Live 2024. I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Today's case is about ANA positivity in an RA patient. Or is it? A 23-year-old gal, I've been treating her for about four years. She um, had been diagnosed as having monarticular JIA, um, I think at the age of like 16, 17. At that time, she was... um, rheumatoid factor negative, ANA positive 1 to 1280, and had just one knee. She was treated for that one knee. I think she was given DMARDs and injections and whatnot. Um, And then over time, she evolved into an oligoarthritis and then um, something that looked more like RA. Before I saw her, she had had a synovectomy uh, of the knee, and the synovitis, and it was done because of they were worried that it was, maybe this wasn't posterior JIA, which often has a positive ANA and a negative rheumatoid factor, but maybe this could be an infection. Uh, nonetheless, the uh, pathology looked like chronic inflammatory arthritis, much like RA, with um, a lot of polys, um, scattered neutrophils and plasma cells, no evidence of granulomas, and tests for fungal TB and other bacterial infections were in fact negative. Um, When I saw her, she had about four or five joints. She was treated with, I think, adalimumab and um, methotrexate and leflunamide and really didn't do well. And then because she was considering pregnancy, she was switched um, for not having a great response. And because pregnancy was being considered, she was switched to Sertilizumab and did better. And then more recently, now we're getting to today's visit, um, Sertilizumab was not working. And um, she was switched at a prior visit to Tofacitinib uh, and had done well for six months. But now she's back and um, in a, about a month ago and was put back on methotrexate and now I'm seeing her at their last visit. She's on methotrexate and Zelgance and is doing very, very well. So, you know, again, jumping around on therapies, what's interesting about her is that her response to therapies have been sort of short-lived. Uh, and her flares were backed up by swollen joints. So she's a bit of a conundrum. And is that because of what her real diagnosis is? Is she really RA? She does have bilateral symmetric Um, polyarthritis of typically involved joints. She does have a biopsy that shows chronic rheumatoid-like inflammation. Um, She is CCP positive at 125 units, I believe, and her ANA remains strongly positive. When she's inflamed, she has an elevated sedator CRP um, and has no other extra-articular manifestations, no Sjogren's syndrome, uh, etc., 
again, she and she's been ANA positive right from the start. So when I see patients that are both ANA and rheumatoid factor positive, and you're trying to figure out is this lupus or is this RA, you know, look at the titer and you know do that which is more thing, and that's probably how the story is going to go. She, clearly, she has a higher titer of ANA than she does of CCP, and her rheumatoid factor is negative. But she's behaved more like RA. And the question is, what does the ANA mean in a case like this? Number one, you have to remember, of course, that using TNF inhibitor therapy can induce ANA positivity. And that would be TNF inhibitor-induced ANA without necessarily having drug-induced lupus. Or it could be, in a very small subset of those people, evolve into drug-induced lupus, which could present with more arthritis, in fact. But this patient had ANAs positive at the very start before she ever saw or heard about a TNF inhibitor. When you see ANA positivity in an RA patient, you have to wonder about, are, are they going to be more difficult patients? There are some reports out there that say such patients may be more refractory and harder to treat. Um, you have to worry about whether they may have Sjogren's syndrome that underlies or co-associates with this, because Sjogren's is associated often, more often with ANA positivity than I think RA is. 20% of RA patients are said to be ANA positive. And, and sometimes that ANA in an RA patient could be due to SSA or SSB antibodies as well. Um, and other than that, I don't think it means much, and I certainly don't think it merits repeat testing. Uh, I have done it a few times because of the question of her not responding well, seeing what if she had changed serologically over time as far as rheumatoid factor or CCP or the ANA. In fact, she really never did. The good news is you just you know, train the patient to be a good patient, which means call me when you're not doing well. Otherwise, keep your scheduled appointment and stay on these medicines. And if you look at how her CDI scores have gone, have gone and I'm just going to read them off to you, as you know, um, greater than six is, is active, you know, less than six is doing really well. You know, less than three is really good. Last visit, she, this last visit, she was five. Before that, it was 11. 18, 9, 5, 5, 2, 8, 2, 3, 5, 10, 12. So not horribly bad polyarthritis, but enough that she was either in moderate disease activity or low activity, and then occasionally has stepped into better control. And I think that's where she is right now. So I'm happy with the therapy. Um, but when you have a question like this, continually reevaluate. See the patient again. Reconsider the diagnosis, consider repeat testing if necessary, because, um, again, she's had plenty of opportunities. She's had arthritis since, oh, this looks like it's going back, um, as I said, mm, well, at least eight years is what we'll say at this point, right? Um, and, you know... Patients may declare another diagnosis over time. I tend to think that patients who are going to declare diagnosis after you've established diagnosis and they're following them, that happens usually in the first two years. Um, but anything's possible, especially when they're seronegative. This patient's not seronegative. Tune in for more QD Clinics.